0: True or false? Grandma's benefits imperil juniors' future. That's what we're here to debate. Another verbal joust from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donban of ABC News. We're at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. Our motion is this. Grandma's benefits imperil juniors' futures. Two teams will argue that proposition from opposite sides, for it and against it. Only one team wins, and you, our live audience, will be choosing the winner. So let's meet our panel. First, a lifelong Republican who is encouraging her party to get back to basics, Fox News commentator Margaret Hoover. Her debating partner is a real estate investor and media mogul, a chairman of U.S. News and World Report, Mort Zuckerman. Opposing them at the facing table, a doctor who went on to become chairman of the Democratic National Committee, the former governor of Vermont, Howard Dean. And joining him, an economic analyst and author of the book, Age of Greed, and editor of Challenge magazine, Jeff Madrick. So this is a debate. It's a contest. There will be winners and there will be losers. And you, our live audience here at the Skirball Center, will be making the choice who wins and loses. By the time the debate has ended, you will have been asked to vote twice, once before and once again after the debate. And the team that has changed the most minds in the course of the debate will be declared our winner. So on to round one. Round one: opening statements by each debater in turn, and first speaking for our motion, "Grandma's Benefits in Peril, Junior's Future." I'd like to welcome to the lectern Mort Zuckerman. Mort Zuckerman is a man who started in academia and then began to build things. You built buildings, and from those buildings, you built a fortune. And from that fortune, you became a media mogul. You are the uh, owner of the U.S. Daily News. You are the editor in chief of U.S. News and World Report. On the fortune. You do not own fortune, but on that magazine list, you are number 188.
1: (laughs) They they were referring
0: to my age, not Ah. my rank. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, arguing for the motion first, Mort Zuckerman.
1: America's uh, in very difficult shape, and the difficult truth that we must face is that uh, we are uh, on the verge of an exploding public sector debt uh, that can have a, a very, very negative effect on our economic future as one cynic put it, um, our future isn't what it used to be. Social Security was built, born rather, amid harsh times uh, of the Great Depression, marked by unemployment, homelessness, and even starvation. We then made a deal with the American workers that nobody who paid into the system would be left empty-handed. To this was added Medicare health insurance in the mid-1960s. These initiatives changed the economics of old age. In a mere four decades, poverty rates among the elderly, which had been three or four times that of the general population, fell below the rates for younger Americans. To this day, Social Security still means the difference between poverty and economic security for millions of retirees, children, and many American workers. When Social uh, Security began making monthly distributions in 1940, there were 160 workers for every senior receiving benefits. Today, there are about three workers, and within two decades, there will be two. The message could not be clearer. Social security needs fixing. Social security taxes have been raised 40 times since the program began, most recently in 1983. The initial social security tax was 2%, split between the employer and the employee, capped at $3,000 of earnings, which made for a maximum tax of $60. Today, the tax is approximately 13%, capped at $106,800 for a maximum tax of $13,234, a multiple of 80 times the original tax. So what is to be done? Despite the natural sympathy for those looking forward to their retirement, we cannot avoid the issue of Social Security insolvency. The greatest risk facing America's fiscal future comes from the projected increases in Medicaid and Medicare spending. Medicaid now pays for both health and long-term care for roughly 55 million Americans. The federal government underwrites 50 to 77 percent of the cost, depending on the income level of each state. The basic fact is that the first baby boomer statistically retired on January 1 of this year, but there are 79 million more of them multiply that by estimated annual benefits of $40,000 that they will be receiving, and you're looking at $3 trillion a year just for that portion of the population. Now, this is a nation founded on opportunity, not entitlement, on thrift, not conspicuous consumption, to keep these entitlements under fiscal control is about keeping the American dream alive. I know the American dream because I'm one of the people who was attracted to this country many years ago from Canada. Today it is Canada's government that has shown best how to manage these kinds of, ways, these kinds of problems as they work their way through perilous economic times without threatening its future. But much as I like Canada, I don't want my children moving
0: there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, More Zuckerman.) Our... Our motion is Grandma's Benefits imperil Junior's Future. And here now to speak against the motion, Jeff Madrick. He is the editor of Challenge magazine. He uh, is a thinker and a writer who comes to the topic of economics from the left. His, um, he wrote a book called The Age of Greed, which turns on its head to the fictional Gordon Gekko's notion that greed is good because greed is... Uh, greed is not good. Self-interest is okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Madrick.
2: I'm delighted to be here with Mort Zuckerman. Uh, I'm especially delighted here to be here to defend Social Security and Medicare. They are two of the greatest achievements of any kind made in America. Mort's listed. Please. Mort's listed why Social Security is, is so important. How many elderly it keeps out of poverty. Medicare. Think of what the elderly would be doing without Medicare. How could they possibly be paying $12,000 and $15,000 a year for health insurance? And you're going to say, well, let's cut them back a little bit for the sake of fiscal responsibility. Let me get to the point. Let's be very clear about what Social Security adds to our future debt. In fact, let me step back a moment. Social Security and Medicare have nothing to do with the current levels of debt, nothing to do with it. The current levels of debt are a function of the Great Recession, brought on in my view mostly due to the excesses of Wall Street, the Bush tax cuts in the early 2000s, and the spending on the Iraq and Afghanistan war. <laughs> Medicare, Part- <clears throat> Medicare Part D contributed some, but less than any one of those three factors. We don't have debt because of Social Security and Medicare, but what about the future? You would think, given what Mort says, that Social Security accounts for about half of what's going to happen to us. What do you think the benefits of Social Security as a proportion of GDP are going to rise to? They're now about 5% of our total income. They're going to rise to a maximum of 6% of our total income, 1% of GDP. You think we can't afford that? You think Social Security is going insolvent on the basis of that? And you know what? Even if we don't raise taxes to cover Social Security, Social Security is not going insolvent. The Social Security Administration and the CBO make a forecast. It is a conservative forecast of economic growth. Even if we do nothing, we will still have 78% of our benefits paid by the current system. Medicare is a different story. But Medicare spending is not going up in the next 10 years significantly as a proportion of GDP. It's going up after that. And why? We hear a lot of alarmist talk about the aging of the population. True, there will be more aging compared to workers. But that's not what's driving Medicare costs up. It's the health care system. Summarizing quickly on those two issues, we can handle Social Security easily. It is not going insolvent. That is inflammatory, misleading, and incorrect rhetoric. Thank you.
0: So we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion, Grandma's Benefits Imperil Junior's Future. You've heard two of the statements, and now on to the third. I'd like to introduce Margaret Hoover, a Fox News political commentator. She is the author of a book called... American Individualism, which spells out her vision for a Republican Party that gets back to its roots. The title, I understand, you lifted from an author in the past, who would be whom?
3: I punked it from Herbert Hoover.
0: And your relationship to Herbert Hoover? He was my
3: great-grandfather.
0: But you're bringing us the past and the future tonight.
3: I found, surprisingly, Hoover channels the millennial ethos.
0: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Margaret Hoover.
3: I am well aware that I am the junior on the stage, and as such, I will argue in favor of this motion from the perspective of junior. The juniors in this argument are the millennials, 30 and unders, born at the beginning of the Reagan era to the end of the Clinton presidency. At 33 years of age, I am on the cusp of this rising generation and have been paying into Social Security and Medicare for eight years. By the time I reach my full retirement age of 67, I'll expect to receive the same benefits equal to that which I paid into the system. And if I have planned on this, I will find my future severely imperiled. Because eight years before I retire, the Social Security Trust Fund will have been depleted. I will be surprised to discover that this trust fund was actually a myth, that it was in fact just a surplus of IOUs, that had been lent out to other agencies of government to pay for their expanding programs. Beginning in 2037, Social Security will have to rely solely on the revenues from payroll taxes, which will be insufficient to cover the benefits promised to me and my generation. In addition, under current law, because of program insolvency, benefits will have to be cut by 23% or payroll taxes raised 30%. The rude awakening is that Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, they are pay-as-you-go programs. The federal government does not and never has saved payroll tax revenues. These have always been generational transfer programs from workers to retirees, such that the benefits for grandma come directly out of the pockets of junior. Put all together with baby boomers hitting retirement, grandmas living longer, medical costs spiraling upwards, Social Security, Medicare expenses will consume about 12% of the nation's economic output in 2035, triple what it was in 1971. We all know this is unsustainable, and the need for reform is obvious. This is not an appropriate legacy for grandma to leave to junior because it defies the social contract in which each generation strives to leave the country better off than it inherited it from its parents. We need to revise the social contract to reflect the changes in our society in a way that keeps the faith with Grandma, does not cut her benefits, but stops making promises to Junior that we simply cannot keep. We encourage you to vote in favor of the motion. I'm
0: John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. The motion is Grandma's Benefits Imperil Junior's Future. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Our motion is "Grandma's benefits imperil Junior's future." And here to speak against the motion, Howard Dean. He's a doctor who left medicine to enter politics. He ran for president in 2004. He has served as a chairman of the Democratic National Committee, and you were governor of Vermont for 12 years. And I want to talk to you about very briefly about your 12 years as governor of, of Vermont. You came in to office with a $62 million deficit. While there, you instituted a program that extended health care coverage to most of the kids in the state, and you cut taxes. I so did. does that mean it's all easy to Should do? Should I be on the other side of this yeah. debate? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Howard Dean. Thank
4: you. Um,
0: the truth is that we do
4: not have a Medicare and Social Security problem in terms of what is costing us. What we have is bad management politicians who won't talk to each other and work with each other, lousy tax policy, selfishness as a public policy, and growing inequality in America. This is not an issue about tax. So a a few facts. Social Security is, in fact, a trust fund. There are $2.6 trillion in the tax fund. They are invested in treasuries. By 2020, there will be $3.5 trillion in the Social Security trust fund. Is there a shortfall in Social Security? Yes. Is that the single biggest problem of our bankruptcy uh, deficit? No. You know what the single largest factor in our national debt is? This is the CBO. This is not some left-wing Democratic think tank like MSNBC. (laughs) 60% of the deficit in 2019 is due solely to the Bush tax cuts. Now, that's a fact. I'm not... If you don't want to raise taxes, be my guest. But if this is a debate between raising taxes and dealing with Social Security, you should know that. Medicare, its costs are out of control. There's a reason for that. The costs of the entire health care system in the United States of America are out of control. There's no way you're going to control Medicare costs without doing something about the rest of the health care costs, and that means we have to have real health care reform, which we have not had. We need to fundamentally get rid of the fee-for-service system, capitate care, some of the things in the health care bill will solve the Medicare problem, period. We do not need to privatize either one of those programs. And for those of you on Social Security, could you imagine if President Bush had had his way and we'd privatized Social Security shortly before 2008? I don't think many of you would have been able to afford the $40 ticket that you paid <laughs> to get in here. The fact of the matter is that young people inevitably are going to end up as my age. And when they do, they're not going to want these, these programs to disappear. The elderly used to be the poorest group in America until in 1926, the farm states where the depression started began social security, which is then spread to a national program by Roosevelt in 19, in 1933. So this is a core program. We just need to make it work and we just need some mild tweaks. The solution to this problem is not to return the elderly to poverty. The elderly programs do not harm young people in this country because if we did not have them, you would be living with them so you could take care of them at the same time as you tried to make your own lives. These programs were put in for a reason. It is a social compact. And I'll close with the words of Oliver Wendell Holmes. Taxes are the price we pay for civilization. And for those who continue to want to avoid them more and more, seeking tax cuts when we already have enormous deficits, you will end up paying the price. Because, and I say this not as somebody who's a liberal or on the left, I say this as a social observer, there is no society in the face of the earth, now or in the past, which has not collapsed when the gap between the wealthiest and the poorest in that society has become too big. We are going down a very dangerous road, and cutting Medicare and Social Security are the last things we should be doing, not the first.
0: Thank you, Howard Dean. And that concludes opening statements and round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where the motion being argued is grandma's benefits imperil juniors' futures. Now on to round two. This is where the debaters address each other directly and they answer questions from the audience and from me. So I want to go first to the side that's arguing against the motion and bring up the number that your opponent, Margaret Hoover, brought up, which is 2037, the year 2037, at which point, as she says, it is projected that the trust fund that was set up for Social Security is going to run dry. And this is not a number she's pulled out of thin air. This is generally thought that that actuarial prediction is pretty good, pretty on. So I want to put to your side, what about that? What about the stark fact that that money will be gone? Let me take that. Um,
2: Remember, Social Security is a pay-as-you-go system. Margaret, it's not a rude awakening. It was always known to be a pay-as-you-go system. It was never said to be a trust fund. Uh, When that money runs out, Money will still be coming in from workers. Enough money will be coming in to pay, according to the same estimates that said the trust fund would run out in 2037, to pay 78% of current benefits. When people say Social Security is going insolvent, and then they tell us, and we better cut the benefits now, well, the benefits are going to be cut, and they may even be cut less without doing anything than you would like to do now. That's what happens when the trust fund runs out. So
3: so no one is saying we should cut benefits now, especially to the seniors to whom we have promised. There's no one out there saying that, except the AARP who's trying to scare Grandma into continuing to to not vote for entitlement reform. I want to go back to this notion that 78% of benefits will be paid out, because when you think about it, that's not a good deal. I put in money my entire lifetime, and then presuming that the benefits are going to be there, I can only expect to get 78% out?
2: Yeah, I think so. Well, me, to come back Well, let me very you? quickly yeah. respond. You say nobody's calling for reductions in benefits, but, of course, all kinds of people are currently calling for reductions in benefits. Ooh. Simpson-Bowles, when you raise the— they,
3: They're talking about reductions the future raise, benefits, but no one who's been promised now. When you raise the
2: retirement age— it's a cut in benefits. If you raise the requirement age, eligibility retirement age from 65 to 67, that's a cut in benefits of 13 percent.
1: More so, okay. that, that, That's not the only proposals. Those aren't the only proposals that are out there. And we're basically talking about people just coming into the system having to deal with it. I mean, the fact is, when uh, FDR uh, introduced Social Security, the uh, average expect, life expectancy was 62. It's now 80. Uh, you don't uh, have a system that doesn't take that into account unless you just want the system to go bust. We want this thing to work. If you can guarantee that this thing is going to work by one magical system or another, great, but you can't. Howard Dean. Not, not with all the people who are going to be retiring and the 79 million people who Howard are baby boomers.
4: Let me just remind everybody that the question is, do grandma benefits per- Grandma's benefits imperil uh, Junior's future or whatever? The answer is no. They clearly don't. I, I object to Mort's view of even phraseology, that the system will go bust. Jeff has said it will not, and Margaret's actually said 78% of the benefits is a bad deal, but that is not the same as going bust. Here's what needs to be done. Wealthy pay taxes on their benefits. I think that's a good thing. Those taxes should go back into the Social Security Trust Fund, not go into the General Fund. Number two, no matter how attractive they may be politically, do not give payroll tax cuts that money goes into Social Security. Right now, we're simply adding it to the national debt and then putting it back in the Social Security Trust Fund. Next, we need to have a different immigration policy. For the, all those people who are screaming and yelling about all the immigrants coming in here and screwing up the economy, look at Alabama right now where the Hispanic population is fleeing and they are, crops are rotting in but the how, fields. Can,
0: can you bring this back to yeah. the, the benefits issue? Pl- yeah. Immigrants,
4: immigrants, immigrants. <laughs> contribute greatly to social security and the illegal immigrants contribute greatly to social security because they have fake social security numbers and they never get any of that money back so they actually boost the fund up it's true <laughs> secondly immigration built this country because t- if we have if we only have two workers paying for or three workers paying for what 168 used to pay for then let's have some more talented, hardworking people come into this country and stop beating up on immigrants. If anybody in here has Native and blood, American blood in them, they're not an immigrant. The rest of you are all immigrants, and it built this country. Let them keep building this country and keep coming. That will solve the Social Security trust fund problem. Yeah.
1: Margaret, will
0: it?
3: So, so he's just admitted that there is a Social Security trust fund
0: problem. Ah.
1: Call it call it what you will. We had a Democratic president, Democratic control of the Senate, and Democratic control of the House, and we did nothing about these issues. When you can get any kind of mix of politics, I don't care whether they're the Republicans or the Democrats, who can really change what you're talking about changing, the tax rates, the immigration codes, you name it, I'll agree with everything you want to say, but in the meantime... These programs are in jeopardy. And I would therefore say to you, as long as you can sort of hypothesize these unavailable, impossible programs, sure, you can find uh, other ways to solve it. But in the meantime, we're living with these programs. We haven't been able to solve it, and nobody's been able to do it since 1983. Power the Dean. Pro- Here's the problem with that argument. I, I, I agree. The
4: programs are in some jeopardy. Why? Because one side of the political eye wants them to be in jeopardy. They've never liked Social Security. They think the federal government should be drowned in a bathtub. I do not think it's fair to take away Social Security because there is an intransigent group of people in the House uh, who refuse to do anything about it at all. All
0: right. But I just okay, want, I I- want to point out that your debate... Opponents tonight did not take that position. That's true, they, they didn't, but right. Mort okay. just Thank defended them. A, Margaret Hoover. Straw man. Uh,
3: to answer Jeff's question, insolvency, this inflammatory rhetoric, is not rhetoric that Mort and I made up. Insolvency is the word used by CBO, by actuaries of Social Security, and it refers to the fact that these programs will not be able to deliver on their promises by that year, 2037. Now, with with Governor Dean... You've agreed that these programs are in jeopardy. To the extent that these programs are in jeopardy, you are then agreeing implicitly with the motion.
0: Did she get you on that? No. What I no. <laughs> the, if the
4: argument is here, Social Security and Medicare, Grandma's benefits are imperiling Junior's future. No. The political people class is imperiling Junior's future because we have a lousy group of politicians that can't get their act together. I don't think we should take that out of Grandma's hide. What we need is new politicians, not new Grandma's. <laughs>
1: Howard, I,
0: you were, you I, I were, felt that what you I heard the, the chairman, other side saying was the not, chairman, they're, not talking, they're not talking about wanting to cut Grandma's benefits now, but they're talking about wanting to cut Junior's benefits when Junior is a grandpa. Later on. No, they're talking no, about they're the talking, future, are they not?
2: All, all reforms are talking about cutting benefits. All, all reforms are talking in some way or other about cutting benefits now. We ra- we've already raised the eligibility age to 67. That's going to be a 13 percent benefit cut. And, 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 and let me talk a little bit about Medicare, Howard's forte, because uh, Margaret brought up the fact that this is some kind of side issue. Why do we think Medicare is going to go off? the rails. It's not the aging issue. It's that health care costs are rising very rapidly. And I guess we have to repeat this over and over again. Rising health care costs can undo Medicare and Medicaid. And okay. that is not a side Let's issue. Bring Margaret it is the so, issue. Margaret Hoover.
3: Well, uh, I agree with you. I believe we agree with you that rising health care costs are are very, very important and one of the driving, co- driving predictors in long-term spending. The issue here, though, is about benefits. And Medicare and Medicaid are health care benefits. And to the extent that health care costs are careening out of control and must be reformed, this is, again, an implicit affirmation of the motion.
4: I, I would disagree. I, 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 think, I think, in fact, you just affirmed our side of the, of the motion, which is the <laughs> negative side the the fact is it isn't the benefits it's the system if you capitated They're everybody's care no if it is certainly not the same thing what i get in benefits has nothing to do with how i pay for those benefits the problem is not the benefits that grandma's getting you have to get rid of the fee for service system we are not talking about cutting benefits Mort- because benefits are not the problem. It is the way we pay for health care. More Tuckerman.
1: Yeah, no, but what you are saying, if, if the current system, and I couldn't agree with you more about uh, uh, the fee for services because it is counter to everything you wanted, you, you, you pay for more, not for better, in that system. And I agree with that, okay? All I am saying to you is that it is almost impossible for me to imagine that you are going to change that, at least within my lifetime, and maybe within the lifetime of Junior.
0: If All right, I'd have- like to go to some questions from the audience now, and remember, um, when the mic comes to you, please stand up and state your name. My name is Mark Turner. Uh,
1: I think tonight uh, and every night when you turn on the uh, tube, you can see that we have the intelligence to have this debate, but I believe our politics dummy us down. So my question is, is there a play on history going on here? In 1980, during the Reagan revolution, after there was a discussion about Social Security, by 1982 the public had spoken, many grandmas and grandpas voted, and it got Reagan and Tip O'Neill to sit down. So maybe we should expand the table and have more juniors at the tables to see if, in fact, they'll channel the past and and go for politicians (laughs) who promise us a pot, a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. I don't think they'll go for that. You were good at
0: the question (laughs) mark. Thanks for the
3: Hoover reference. (laughs) Uh, You know, I couldn't agree with you more. Juniors do need to be part of this uh, debate. And the one thing that really characterizes the millennial generation is a desire to be part of the solution. But I will say, when we talk about this compromise that happened with Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan in 1983, we have to remember, too, they were months away from seniors not getting their benefit checks. So one of the things I worry about is that politicians need their le- next election to be hanging in the balance before they can actually be mobilized to do anything.
0: Um, the woman in the green sweater is standing up.
3: Hi, my name is Chloe Heinz, and I was just wondering if we could elaborate a little bit on what it would look like if we were creating healthier seniors. Uh, if the people who are my age and Margaret's age and under the age of the the beneficiary um, line, what, that, what those benefits would look like, because I feel like the pool would be depleted at a
2: much slower rate let
1: the fact go. is health care has improved dramatically, and that 's why longevity has improved so dramatically. So we are in fact seeing a totally different aging of the population. Uh, the original idea of, of health care was not necessarily to uh, i mean of a social security was not necessarily to provide retirement income for people to the ages of ninety, whatever that, that um, new longevity will take us to. when that was passed. As I said, the median age was 62. Well, We're now at 80. There's nothing wrong with taking that into account. uh, John, Um, can I say something?
2: Yeah, Jeff. Uh, I I really hope the, the debate and what you take away from it can stick to the facts. Yes, there is greater longevity. As big a problem for the Social Security system has been the fact that wages haven't grown and that there's inequality in America. When wages don't grow... People put in f- less money into the Social Security system. Even saying that, however, let me repeat what I said at the outset: Social Security is going up from five percent to six percent of GDP. Merely by eliminating the cap, we would not have any deficit in the future. Margaret,
3: I, I just I've, you know, six percent of GDP is is more than eight hundred billion dollars, less than nine hundred billion dollars. That's not nothing. And for an economy that is 14 trillion dollars in debt, it's it's the Ben Franklin saying: If you mind your pennies, the dollars will the dollars will take care of themselves.
0: Madam, um, yes, my thanks. name is Barbara Tidal. Up until 10 years ago, the uh, age where you could have earned unlimited earnings and still collect unemployment was 70. 10 years ago, they reduced that. Why?
2: It was just one, one of many reforms that have reduced Social Security benefits. People keep talking about the Reagan-O'Neill agreement. The Reagan-O'Neill agreement cut benefits. In, the, in okay. that period, 52 percent – Social Security replaced 52 percent of pre-retirement income. So you're saying it's it a little bit of, It's a. It's a, it's a four, it, this is an average number Jeff, number you're of, saying it's
0: a little dose of what this side is recommending be done. It's a
2: little dose uh, – yes, it's a little dose
0: of what that side is recommending. Is that uh, brought to your side fairly?
2: Yeah, what
3: seems to be agreed upon here, and what Jeff just said too, was that the fix is easy. We know what the fix is. But then if we agree that there needs to be a fix, we agree that there's a problem, and we agree that Grandma's benefits are imperiling Junior's future.
4: Well, let me, if I may, we We agree that there needs to be a fix, and we agree that there is a problem. But the problem is not Grandma's benefits. It's the idiots in Washington that won't fix it. And we should not cut grandma's benefits because we have an incompetent political class. That's what we need. Let's let's not reframe this thing. This is not about grandma's benefits. It's about getting people who will get stuff done in Washington and cut out the nonsense.
0: I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. The motion is Grandma's Benefits Imperil Junior's Future. Stay with us. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing out this motion, Grandma's Benefits Imperil, Junior's Future. Okay, back to questions. And just wait for the mic to come.
1: The debate has largely centered on fairness and uh, solvency, but um, I was wondering if, uh, if somebody could speak um, a bit more about the long-term economic impact in terms in terms of if you spend money on these entitlement programs, that's money that's not going to be spent somewhere else and would, not would be, having that spent. Would it be
0: fair to say you're asking whether the programs are going to be a drag on the economy, on growth, and thus imperil the future? Okay, let's put that to the side. Arguing uh, absolutely guess, not.
4: In fact, it's a, it's a huge boost. So Florida, for example, is economy is essentially built on Social Security. This is, this is these are what these are. No, this is true. This is the multiplier effect. What these are is transfer payments. They are transfer payments to people who otherwise wouldn't be spending money. Every dime that goes into Social Security gets spent, because these folks who are depending on Social Security have to spend everything in order to to survive and to live. That's why people like retirees living in their state. They don't use much in the way of services other than health care, which is mostly paid for by the feds, and they don't have any kids in the schools and so forth and so on. So, in fact... These so-called transfer entitlement programs are big boosts to the economy and not drags at all.
0: Uh, Let's hear the other side respond to that. Interesting point. Well, I I think that
1: is true. The point that I would make, though, is that uh, when people are paying the Social Security taxes, it's when they're working. We're trying to protect that system for the people when they retire. It is certainly true that when they retire, this being in, in most cases their only source of income, they're going to spend it. And I'm just as happy to have people, when they're working, contribute more to the system to make sure that it is viable.
0: OK. If you can stand up. Um, Hillary Cecil Jordan. Uh, my question is, you seem to all agree that what's germane to the debate is politics not working. And I just wonder, and this isn't going, I don't think, too far from the debate. Are politics as intransigent, intransigent as the healthcare system? And what do you suggest be done? Everybody blames everything on politics. Well, the reason I think that's a relevant question is because, Howard, you you have made the case repeatedly, and and you also, Jeff, that there need to be basic changes in the way we do things. And um, Mort keeps coming back saying that would be great if we could do that, but he's saying it's politically impossible. So that's kind of a little bit of a strike against your position if Mort is right, that the things you're talking about just can't be done politically. So can you take that on?
2: You know, the things Mort is talking, I I mean, is Mort just throwing up his hands and going to go back to Canada? The things that Mort is suggesting be done can't be done politically either, as far as I can hear. If he has any solutions for this that are politically viable now, more politically viable than our side, please speak up, Mort.
1: It's your chance. Well, I I do think that uh, the notion of changing fee for services, which I'm totally in favor of, or trying to get uh, a cap on medical tort liability, which I'm totally in favor of. I can't imagine how that's going to happen for a very long time. What it will take, to answer the question, is political leadership. And that's what we don't have and haven't had for years, Who really people who really want to address this, because they feel they're going to lose votes in one place or another. And that's the sad part of it. We have a system. In Canada, for example, they're doing it very differently. Margaret.
3: Uh- So, and we agree in in many ways on what the problems are, fee-for-service. Governor Dean agrees with us that fee-for-service is a problem, though we have dramatically different ideas about how to address that. And I I think you're right that our politics have have become so polarized that you cannot simply come to the table admitting that there are going to be principled differences and figure out how to work it out and the political game and the bomb-throwing has made touching Medicare or Social Security a third rail for anyone who tries to take it on. Look what's happened to Paul Ryan, who puts forth a plan that you might not like, but he puts down a plan that goes to the trouble of getting it scored by CBO. And the next thing we know, there's a you know a, a commercial of him throwing Grandma off a cliff.
0: Howard how Dean. That's nuts. Well, actually,
4: I thought that was fairly accurate. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to stifle my partisan side here. Look, um, I'm I'm by nature um, optimistic, and I agree that that we can discuss for a long time what's the matter with the political leadership. I do think elections have a way of eventually fixing that problem. I think the private sector is going to do it, and I'll tell you why. Because of the Obama health care plan, which I was not a big supporter of, but which does have some good things in it, there is a real opportunity in the private sector, and I'll tell you what it is. If you have a totally vertically integrated system, like Kaiser, for example, or Geisinger, they can now sell their product outside an insurance agency. When they go on the exchanges, which are going to be in place in 2014, you are now going to have people competing with insurance companies to keep prices low. The other great thing about this bill is that the exchange is basically a transparent way of buying insurance. Private – Democrats go crazy when I say this, but the truth is small business is going to dump all their people into the exchanges. That is a great thing, because now individuals are going to go into the marketplace and choose their own insurance with some government subsidy, Okay. and an integrated system will beat an insurance company every single time. Let me
0: go to the front row for this gentleman I passed over before.
4: Um, hello, my name is David, and
2: I believe I fit into the junior generation, and I was just really worried about a statistic that Mr. Um, Madrid brought up. He said that when I retire, so like when I'm 75 or whatever when I qualify for Social Security. Um, if if Martin if Mart and Margaret get their way, you probably won't get Social Security until <laughs> you're 75. All right, well, <laughs> um, when I do get my Social Security comment. payments, I was told that I would only get 78%, I believe it was, of my benefits. But when you subtract, when you deduct basically all the expenses I would normally be paying when I'm receiving 100% of my benefits, how much would i have left of that 78% well i agree with that that's why i think we do have to raise taxes and get up get it up to 100% i'm not sure our opponents are talking about maintaining the same level of
0: benefits. I think they are talking about reducing those benefits. That sort of does get to the bottom line. Are you talking about maintaining the same level of benefits that we have today?
1: Absolutely. Without question. Nobody suggested cutting the benefits. Frankly, if there would be any benefits cut, I would cut them for the the well-to-do. But on all the other benefits, absolutely not. What we're trying to do is to make it possible for us to afford to continue to paying those benefits. And so I'm just going to go to one issue because this is a chance for me to say it even though it's not relevant. Um, Bill Clinton has a wonderful idea for how you deal with uh, health insurance, private health insurance, where in most states one or two companies really dominate the entire health insurance in that state. He said, you just put in one line into their policies, mandate it, that 85 percent of the premiums they receive go to health care benefits and the rest of it, only the rest of it, can go to promotion and profits and he said you'd have a major improvement in that. Well, fine, I'm ready to sign on to that. When I'm president, the first appointed Canadian Jewish president, I'm willing I'm willing to sign that legislation. I'm going to take one more
4: Hi, my name is Deanna Oliver. I'm a student at NYU. I have a question for you, Governor Dean. In the introduction of your opening statement, you claimed that there isn't, in fact, a Social Security trust fund problem. However, there's a problem with political collaboration and our economical stance right now. So if we are to lack progress in either of those areas, which both sides have agreed to, and private sectors don't act on the opportunity which you claimed in your last response, does that mean that the future of the Millennials will, in fact, be at risk? I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. I think the Millennials are – people have often asked, should we have term limits in the United States Senate? I said, no, but we shouldn't allow anybody over 50 to serve in the United States Senate. That would solve the problem. You guys are – you've elected your first president, and now you're going to eventually take the reins of power. You are not a confrontational generation. You focus – there's much less ideological bandwidth among your generation than there is in mine. The political class is always the last to get it. And as soon as these guys pass on to someplace else, with their, which they're their deserved reward, you guys are going to be running the Senate, and you guys are actually going to sit down across what minimal ideological lines you have and get something done. So this is going to get fixed. I'd just like to see our generation own up to it and fix it and stop yapping at each other so we'd not have to leave it up to you. And Margaret Hoover.
3: I, I would just say... Uh, I. On the one hand, I completely agree with Governor Dean. On the other hand, you're the one who just said, Paul Ryan pushed Grandma over the cliff. He so did. you've resembled. But you're resembling this uh, this partisanship that is polarizing the debate and not letting us get to the solution that millennials are trying to get to.
0: And, um, and that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And here's where we are. Um, we're about to hear closing statements from each debater in turn. The closing statements will be two minutes each, and remember how you voted before the debate, because immediately afterwards, you will vote again, so this is their last chance to change your mind. So, on to round three, closing statements, and first to speak against our motion, which is Grandma's Benefits and peril Junior's Future, Jeff Madrick, author of The Age of Greed, The Triumph of Finance, and the Decline of America from 1970 to the Present.
2: Grandma's benefits do not imperil Junior's future. The main reason is we have so much room to raise taxes without impeding economic growth that we can handle the so-called, not the so-called, the Social Security debt. What I meant was the so-called Social Security insolvency uh, relatively easily. Medicare is not a problem for 10 or 12 more years, and we do, as Governor Dean and I think... Mort Zuckerman and maybe Margaret agree, we have to reform that system. Keep one fact in mind, because in the end I think what's generating our opposition's ire is that we have big deficits in America. If we reversed the Bush tax cuts, I mean not only on the top 250, but for everybody, we would solve the deficit problem for the next 10 years. The deficit, the debt in America would not rise above approximately 70% of GDP. These are CBO numbers, not my numbers. They would be, we would be in what's called primary surplus. So you see how much latitude we have to take care of these problems without jeopardizing economic growth. And it's economic growth that the young need,
0: because that's what creates jobs for the young, Thank you. Your time is up, Jeff Magic. Our motion is: Grandma's benefits imperil juniors' futures. And here to summarize his position for the motion, Mort Zuckerman, Chairman and Editor in Chief of U.S. News and World Report.
1: Uh, just about every serious review of the benefits, uh, in broad terms, of, of entitlement programs. It, virtually everybody says, we've got to do something about that. Now, the question is, if you had to make a pragmatic judgment as to what you could do about it, I have to say to you that some of the proposals that are put forth by the other side are uh, uh, about as likely as, well, you name it, as uh, Governor Dean becoming president. Um, and No, I... I, 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 I Believe me, I've been a Democrat all my life. I would have supported him had he got the nomination, but he did not get the nomination. At this stage of the game, he's not in that political um, move. But I I would just say to you that these are very, very serious, serious times for us. This country is on the verge of losing a great deal of the economic energy that it has had, in part because of the failures of our political system. But we have to deal, at least with those programs, it seems to me, that protect the elderly. And this is something I'm totally in favor of. I opposed the Bush tax cuts when they came about. I supported reinstating the uh, tax uh, levels uh, when uh, other Democratic presidents reintroduced some of the Bush tax cuts. I didn't uh, support that. But whatever it is, we've got to do something about these programs or else, in fact, the burdens that they are going to imply in terms of the deficit that this country is going to have to undertake in order to deal with these programs is going to do immense damage to the very future of the people that we're talking about. We call them junior, but I'll tell you what, whoever they are, they, their cohorts, their their younger siblings, their older siblings, they're all going to pay the price, and it's going to be a huge price in terms of what their future is. So my view is take the most... In a sense, the simplest way to solve it, even though there are other solutions, I don't disagree with that. That's much more difficult to do. I hope we can reform the Thank medical you. system. We more have to do that. Your time's
0: up. Thank you. Our, our motion is Grandma's Benefits Imperil, Junior's future, and here to summarize his position against this motion. Howard Dean, former chairman of the Democratic National Committee and longest serving governor of Vermont.
4: Well, first of all, let me say we're going to take this fight to North Carolina and then we're going to Michigan, and then we're going to South Carolina, and then we're going to, Oh, pardon me. Excuse me. <clears throat> First of all, I'm I'm heartened by the agreement among us. Uh, We've really put up a lot of the positions that I think if, if the four of us could sit down for four and a half hours, I bet we could solve all these problems as long as we didn't have any problems like the Senate and the presidency and the House to interfere with us. And What is standing in the way of the problem? Is it grandma's benefits or is it a political problem? This is not a benefit problem. This is a governmental failure problem and an economic failure problem. So we have a broad agreement and some disagreement about how we can fix these problems. But we don't have to go through those because there's so much agreement here. So I conclude that grandma's benefits do not endanger Junior's future. What endangers Junior's future is a failure of our political system to work properly, a failure of people at the top of both the economic and government fields to take full responsibility for a great country. I have no doubt that the millennial generation will restore that greatness. But in the meantime, I think it is very important for us not to scapegoat particular groups, whether it's seniors or immigrants or Muslims or gays or whatever it is. We ought to put an end to scapegoating politics and focus on the real problem, which is how we treat each other and not Grandma's benefits.
0: Thank you, Howard Dean. Our motion is Grandma's benefits and Jr.'s future. And here to summarize her position in support of the motion, Margaret Hoover, author of American Individualism, How a New Generation of Conservatives Can Save the Republican Party.
3: Throughout our country's history, Americans have found the courage to do right by our children's future. Deep down, every American knows we face a moment of truth again. We cannot play games or put off hard choices any longer without regard to party We have a patriotic duty to keep the promise of America to give our children and grandchildren a better life. Our challenge is clear and unescapable. America cannot be great if we go broke. These are not my words, but the words from the preamble of President Obama's National Commission on Fiscal Responsibility and Reform. This is not inflammatory language from the far right. This was a bipartisan commission by Democrat Erskine Bowles, Republican Alan Simpson, appointed by Democratic President Obama. There is broad consensus that we are on a course of fiscal disaster. I think Governor Dean has done fancy footwork by trying to make this about politicians and not about what the motion is about, which is that grandma's benefits, which we all agree, everyone on this panel agrees, need to be fixed. And everybody has their own solutions for fixing it. It, 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 it uh, confirms the motion that there is a problem with the system, that Junior's benefits are imperiled. So I would just say for everyone in the audience who is in their 30s or younger, we should feel real urgency. To address these problems and take on these reforms, because it's about our economic future and our economic prosperity. So please vote with us.
0: Thank you, Margaret Hoover. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to find out which side you, our live audience here at the Skirball Center, feel argued best. Our motion is Grandma's Benefits Imperil Junior's Future. Okay, you have heard all of the arguments, you have been asked to vote twice. The motion. We were listening to Grandma's Benefits Imperil Juniors' Futures. We've asked you to vote twice once before the debate on where you stood, and again afterwards to tell us which side you feel argued best, presented the better arguments. And so here now are the final results of the two votes. Before the debate, 40% were for the motion, 24% were against, and 36% undecided. After the debate, 38% are for the motion. That's down 2%. 56% were against. That is up 32%. And 6% are undecided. That's down 30%. The side arguing against the motion that Grandma's Benefits and Peril Junior's Future carried the day. Our congratulations to them, and thank you for me, John Donvan. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. Become a fan of Intelligence Squared on Facebook and jump in on the conversation. You'll also receive discounts on our live debates. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.